0: Imagine that you're over visiting a friend one day, just sitting around the kitchen table, and as you're sitting there, this fly keeps buzzing around and irritating everyone. And finally, in frustration, your friend jumps up, stalks out of the room, and comes back with a violin. Now, while you're still sitting there wondering, what is he going to do with that violin? All of a sudden, he starts swatting at the fly with it till sure enough, he finally kills the fly. Now, it's hard to imagine that anyone would be that foolish as to use a violin for a fly squatter. Why? Because everyone knows what's going to happen to a violin that's used like that. It'll be destroyed. Violins aren't made to be used as fly squatters, They're meant to make music. What's the point? The point is, if we use a delicate instrument, a valuable instrument, like a violin, as a fly swatter, if we use it for a purpose for which it was not made, then we'll destroy it. Well, all that applies with even more force to our own lives. If we use our life for a purpose for which it was not meant, then not only are we acting crazier than some guy swat flies with a fiddle. If we use our life for a purpose for which it was not intended, We'll destroy ourselves in a process, which means we're going to end up someplace we really don't want to go. Now, what's the purpose of life? That's the same as asking, why did God make me? God made me to know him and love him and serve him in this life and be happy with him forever and the next, okay? Everybody knows that. That's a foundational truth. And if we don't want to wreck ourselves, we need to know that, but not just know that. We also have to act. Accordingly, we have to live in the light of that particular truth. We have to use ourselves properly. Not only does that mean avoiding sin and the near occasion of sin, we're not going to look at that today. Today, we're going to be concerned with a less obvious danger, consider an obstacle to holiness that many men suffer from without clearly recognizing it. St. Paul is referring to this when he talks in Ephesians about being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. So we'll talk about that. This danger is based on the fact that we're all creatures of habit. We're creatures of habit. So what? Well, there's one particular habit that's absolutely critical in helping us be happy in this life and in the next. It's our habitual outlook, our habitual aim in life. Not where we want to go. Obviously, everyone here wants to go to heaven. But it's a practical issue. Practically speaking, each one of us has a habitual disposition, which determines how we act, how we habitually, almost instinctively uh, think. What we use is our basis for our day-to-day decisions. And it's a habit. So it's a way of approaching life and what we're doing, where we don't really think much about it. As the late great Father Dean pointed out, there are three basic ways that men approach life. One of these three ways becomes a habit for each man. Again, we habitually act, judge things, and react what happens to us in accordance with one of these three basic approaches. The first two are natural. The third is supernatural. The first good, men whose basic aim in life is to feel good. Second, men whose basic aim in life is to look good, And third, men whose basic aim in life is to be good. Feel good, look good, be good. The first two are natural. Naturally speaking, we're going to suffer from one of those two. Unless supernaturally we do something to put on the third one. Okay, let's take a closer look at each of these categories. But keep in mind, before we do, that we're not talking about the state of grace here. We're not talking about the state of grace. What we're talking about is not a state of being. The state of grace is a state of being. If we're in the state of grace, we're in the state of being. But we're talking about not what we're like, but how we do things, how we think or react or respond when we're not particularly paying attention to ourselves. We're considering the particular motive a man has for his actions, his judgments, his reactions, not how he is but how he acts. Okay, so let's now take a closer look at each group. First group, the men whose principal aim in life is to feel good. They have a habit of choosing, without thinking much about it, whatever makes them feel good. Their goal is to have a good time. If it feels good, do it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. They live by indulging their sensual pleasures. If food isn't just the way they like it, if it isn't seasoned just right, or if isn't cooked just right, or maybe they didn't get just the right amount, then they're unhappy. If other people don't fuss over them or constantly worry about how they feel, then they're unhappy. If they're asked to do a little bit more work than anyone else, then they're unhappy. If anything interferes with their desire to feel good, then they're unhappy. They may be mad, or they may be sad, but they're unhappy. These people typically have a hard time saying no to themselves, and they suffer especially from sins of the flesh, the deadly sins of gluttony, lust, and sloth. And their principal motive is pleasure. So that's a thumbnail sketch of the men who have a habit of choosing whatever makes them feel good. Second category. These are the men whose principal aim in life is to look good. So they have this habit of choosing whatever will make them look good. They want to be successful at any cost. They tend to be preoccupied with attention, popularity, reputation, money, admiration, success. They crave human respect. They want to be the best in whatever area they're focused on, but principally for motives of vainglory and not for the greater honor and glory of God. They may be seeking admiration of men because of their gifts, their intellectual gifts, their beauty, their their bodies, their financial status, their athletic ability, with fancy cars or fancy clothes or what have you. The list goes on and on and on. They tend to make decisions by what seems right to them, what's most to their advantage. If they don't succeed at their particular goals, then they're unhappy. If someone outshines them in something they feel particularly gifted in, then they're unhappy. If someone mocks their abilities, then they're unhappy. If someone bumps them off center stage, then they're unhappy. They may be mad or they may be sad, but they're unhappy. These people can't say no to themselves. In fact, they're willing to suffer to achieve success. But they tend to suffer especially from the spiritual sins, the deadly sins of pride, covetousness, and envy. Their principal motive is vainglory. So there's a thumbnail sketch of the men who have the habit of choosing what makes him look good. The third group, these are the men whose principal aim in life is to be good. They have a habit of choosing what helps them to be good. Their motto is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His justice, and all these things shall be added unto you." They seek to submit to the will of God in all things. Their standard of conduct is not what everyone else is doing. It is not what seems good to me, what God wants, and they're striving hard to live by faith, hope, and charity. They love the truth, even when it hurts, as it often does, and they're willing to suffer for the truth. They do penance and practice mortification, not only to make up for their own sins, but for the sins of others. And they also do penance because, as anyone quickly learns, If a person has a regular habit of annoying and irritating himself, he finds other people in other situations a whole lot less irritating. They don't brood over their hurt feelings and their humiliations in spite of the fact that they hurt because they realize that this crush is applied which is standing in the way of their holiness. And in socially awkward situations, they're far more worried about what God is thinking than about what other men think. Their principal motive is a love of God. Feel good, look good, be good. Those are the three habitual motives that men approach life with. The first two, feeling good and looking good, come naturally. They have to be fought. We have to struggle against them. Being good is a supernatural thing that we have to pray and continually adjust our attitudes. This is why the Benedictines, for example, have that idea of daily conversion, Daily conversion, because by nature, as we know, we're children of wrath. We have to daily convert and turn back and try to be good. Now, why does this matter? Suppose we're in the state of grace. That means we're already essentially holy. That's what the state of grace means. And we already all know the purpose of life. But besides that, it's still quite possible for men to live in a way that they're really trying to grow in holiness, that they have a true devotion to the Blessed Virgin, they're saying their rosary, they're going to confession, they're doing spiritual reading, they're doing all the things they're supposed to do as Catholics. They're really trying. But they're still having a huge amount of difficulties and problems. And maybe they're not even happy and don't seem to be getting anywhere. Now, all those practices are necessary, they're great. They're not the problem. Here's the problem. Many men, in spite of the fact they're trying to live a good and holy Catholic life, are having these struggles because of their habitual disposition. If we have a default setting to feel good, then even if we're praying like crazy, when we don't get what we want, when we're asked to do something we don't like, when something interferes with our desires to feel good, then what? We're unhappy. We'll be unhappy. Maybe we're going to get mad. Maybe we'll be sad, but we're unhappy. Why? Why? Because we've got, in our heart, habitual expectation that I have to feel good all the time. And then when God hasn't arranged the universe so that everything runs exactly according to our desires, then we've got this problem, right? Right. Or maybe we have the default setting to look good. We think, hey, I'm the captain of my soul. Then even if we're praying like crazy, when something comes along that humiliates us or thwarts our carefully carefully laid plans or causes us to look bad in front of the people that we're trying to impress, then what? We'll be unhappy. Maybe we'll be mad, maybe we'll be upset. but we'll be unhappy. Why? Because in our heart of hearts, we have habitual expectation that we got to look good. And then when God has not come around to our point of view and arrange the whole universe so that we're right in the center of it, at the very hub of all creation, then we've got a problem, huh? So each one of us ought to sit down and ask himself seriously, what's my default set? What's my habitual basis for judging what I do and what happens to me? Do I tend to judge what I do and what happens to me by my feelings? Do I tend to judge what I do and what happens to me by what others will think of me, by what seems right to me? Or do I tend to judge what I do and what happens to me in the light of eternity? Constantly seek to conform my will to God's holy will. The purpose of our life is to know and love and serve God in this life so that we'll be happy with him forever in the next. To the degree that our habitual disposition is in exact alignment with that person, to the degree that our disposition is to be good, to that very degree we won't be using ourselves like a fly-squatting fiddle. We'll be happy and aimed in the right direction. But to the degree that our habitual disposition is on a natural setting, either feeling good or looking good, to that very degree, we've impaired our ability to love and serve God in this life. We'll know him, but we won't be able to love him and serve him properly because we've set ourselves up to act in a different way. To the degree we've impaired that ability to love and serve in this life, to that degree we're also going to be unhappy in this life and possibly even in the next. Because it's a habit, we can change it. With the grace of God, we can change it. Today, let's pray that our faith increases, so that each one of us can indeed habitually judge both what we do and what happens to us. In the light of eternity, always seeking conformity with God's holy will in all things.